Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And as you're turning, we're going to continue our series, Faithful Living in a Fallen World. And as we've been talking, Psalm 23 showed us that God is a place of rest. Psalm 42 and 43 showed us that God is a, a, a beacon of hope. Psalm 118 showed us that God has steadfast love that endures forever. But what happens when we do not endure? What happens when we wander and when we stray? Well, that today is going to be our sermon in a sentence. There is a great blessing in confessing. There is a great blessing in confessing. So let us pray, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we come to your word this morning with eyes and ears and hearts ready to hear what you have to say to us. Father, I pray that your spirit would be with us, that your spirit would write your, these words on our hearts, that we may love and cherish and seek you all the days of our life. Father, I pray you would bless me as I open and preach this word, that I would preach faithfully and clearly. And I pray you be with all of our hearing and understanding. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we'll read Psalm 32. Hear the word of God this morning. A mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And thus ends the reading of God's Word this morning. <clears throat> well, as you all know, mowing season is here. And I can tell you from the few people I've talked to, they're just bustling with excitement. They spend more gas money on mowing the yard than they do traveling these days. 
And yeah, what's one of the first things we do when it's time to mow the yard for the season? We sharpen the blades. Now, have you really thought about that? You have a thick piece of steel, and yet it is dulled and beat up by a million blades of grass. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? And not only do you have a million blades of grass, but occasionally you run over a tree root, or you maybe you run over one of your wife's bushes, and that really puts a dent in the lawnmower blade. So year by year, every couple months, we have to sharpen. As long as there is grass to be mowed, there will always be blades that need to be sharpened. Well, in the same way, our souls run into a thousand million little sins and a few bewildering temptations. And each one of these takes the edge off our souls. So how exactly do we sharpen our soul? How do we live faithfully in this fallen world? Well, that's the topic we're going to discuss today. There is a blessing in confession. So as long as sin exists, so will confession. We're going to talk about the blessing of forgiveness and the blessing of confessing. So let's begin with the blessing of forgiveness David says in verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the one who transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I want you to just pay attention to what David says. David doesn't say, Blessed is the man with no transgression. This would be impossible. As you all know, transgression is a legal term. If you walk up into a Kroger and you try to hug a group of people, 10 or more, you will break the law. You will transgress the law. And every time we sin, we break or we transgress God's law. Hugh Martin describes this transgression as a rejection of God's authority, a rebellion, a revolt, a mutiny against God's sovereign sway. You know, rebellion is only profitable if you win. But there's no winning in this case. You see, Adam transgressed the law given to him in the garden. He broke the precept that God had given him. And he received the punishment which was death. Therefore, Paul says in Romans 5, As sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death has spread to all men because all have sinned. Death reminds us of the horrors of sin. C.S. Lewis says that pain plants its flag in every rebel fortress. We understand that, don't we? Every time we flip on the news and we see someone else dying from COVID-19, we're reminded that this isn't natural, that this isn't normal, that every time we sin, our hearts and our consciences tell us this isn't natural, this isn't normal. Solomon was saying in Ecclesiastes 7 that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. 
that we have done things that are not natural. And David says we have transgressions, sins, iniquities. David could not be any clearer. These things compound themselves in our lives. David saw a woman bathing. David had relations with this woman. David killed her husband. Sin by sin, day by day, his heart grew hard and calloused. And yet God commands us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's hard to love God with a heart full of stone. And yet our dull hearts have no hope of being blessed by the words, Blessed is a man whom there is no transgression. That's not what David says. Neither does David say, Blessed is a man who's earned forgiveness from transgression. This is an oxymoron, isn't it? It's not a gift if you earn it. The fact is, many of us try to earn it. If I'm a good person, if I don't dance, dip, and smoke, and go with the girls that do, I'll make it through. That's a slogan that many of us live by. But in our own hearts, we know that's impossible. One sin breaks the track record. Like James says, Whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become guilty of all. We know that in relationships, don't we? You have someone you trust with your entire life and they lie to you. Does one truth replace that one lie? They're not to the same proportion, are they? It's like if a man was hanging off the side of a cliff by a chain and there was ten links in the chain. If one link broke, well, those other nine aren't doing any good, are they? And it doesn't matter if you take off all your gear and you kick your shoes off and you shed all the weight you can. You have a sinking feeling in your heart, you might say. David would say it like this. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. And yet day by day, we set up our own laws. If I can get along with everyone, if I can be generous, if I can be a good person, then I'll be okay. We make laws for ourselves because we don't want to do what God commands us to do. We want to sin the way we want to. Our good works may dress us up in the eyes of men, but God sees through the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And he has a word for this. It's called hypocrisy. The self-righteous and the hypocrite spits in the face of Jesus Christ. God did not give us a lower bar that we could reach, but he has set his law as the standard of perfect righteousness. And all those who fail incur wrath. If we could meet that bar on our own, then Christ died in vain. There was no point in him coming if we could earn forgiveness ourselves. Luther would say, Those who refuse to confess their sins deny the righteousness of Christ. The self-righteous person wants to be justified by their works. He does not believe God in his word, and he does not justify God. Instead, he dishonors God and makes him a liar. Is that really where we want to be? 
Working for our own righteousness is worse than working at a dead-end job. I've worked at a dead-end job, and I could still put food on the table. But working for righteousness' sake only stores up wrath and judgment for us. You see, David doesn't say, blesses a man who has earned forgiveness. David says these incredibly sweet words. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. That this forgiveness is a gift. We see this in Zechariah 3. Joshua the high priest is standing before the Lord and he's accused by Satan. And to make matters worse, he is covered in human feces. Now you don't have to be an Old Testament scholar to know that being covered in feces is an abomination to the Lord, much less to anyone else. Now what happens? Does Joshua stand before the Most High God and say, I don't see a problem? No. William Plummer says that sin is such a filthiness that God cannot behold it without hating the sinner. Nor can the guilty conscience look upon with horror unless that sin is covered. Joshua does not ignore his sin. Well, does Joshua get out the hose and the dawn and wash himself off? Does he get the shout and the oxyclean and scrub himself until his fingers are raw? That is the danger of hypocrisy. It makes light of sin and God's wrath, and it makes much of our good works. Our clothes may end up being clean, but the smell and the stain will still be repugnant in God's sight. What actually happens flips the script. Satan stands there accusing him of unrighteousness. And unrighteousness you could literally smell from miles away. And yet God looks at him and declares, Remove the filthy garments from him. Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you. But that's not enough, is it? It's not enough for God to take away his clothes and leave him naked. If you're planting a garden, it's not enough just to pull up the grass. You have to plant some flowers, don't you? It's not enough for God to forgive our iniquity and make us like Adam in the garden where we could sin again, where we could fail, where we could break the law. But instead, he imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfect righteousness. He says it like this, I will clothe you with pure vestments. Instead of imputing iniquity to us, he forgives us of our transgressions and declares us righteous. We have been wicked and we have forsaken God's way. We have been unrighteous in our thoughts and yet in Christ there is an abundance of pardon. Do you believe that? The Pharisees tried to earn forgiveness, and yet Jesus was far from them. And yet the one publican who stood out and beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, he walked away justified. Be our sins big or small, Jesus Christ can wash them off, for we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of 
transgressions. He has today clothed us with garments of salvation. He has put on us a robe of His very own righteousness. So today we can say that with the heart believes and the mouth confesses and is saved. Have you confessed Christ this morning? Have we all confessed Him? Have we all received the blessing of forgiveness? If not, there is no delay that Jesus Christ today extends to you this great gift. Blessed is He whose transgression is forgiven. This is the great blessing of forgiveness, isn't it? That it comes as a gift. But let's ask another question. If the blessing of forgiveness begins a Christian life, well, what happens when I wake up tomorrow when I, and I sin again? Well, this is where we look and turn to the blessing of confession. As long as sin remains, confession will remain in the Christian life. Martin Luther would say this, that the Christian begins, continues, and ends their life of faith on earth with repentance, with confession. I want to give you a short little definition. Confession is an open and honest acknowledgement of our sin, depending wholly upon the free pardon of God in Christ. Let me say that one more time. Confession is an open and honest acknowledgement of our sin, depending wholly upon the free pardon of God in Christ. Because sin remains, confession will remain. Because sin remains, there's a necessity behind confession. David says in verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day and night. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Recent studies have shown there's actually something to the weight of guilt. That those who had sinned in some way and had a heavy load of guilt found physical tasks harder to perform. I, I work with a lady who likes to say that everyone has their own bag of rocks to carry. But when you have guilt in your life, it's like you have a few more rocks in the bag. And as we know, in this isolation and solitude... Many of us have been stuck with our own thoughts. As we begin to turn the camera onto selfie mode and look at our own hearts, we realize just how many rocks we carry, don't we? Herman Bovink would say, Forgiveness removes the punishment of sin, but not the fact that it deserves punishment. That sin brings with it especially for believers. Guilt, pain, regret, alienation, remorse, and so forth. It takes away one's tranquility of conscience and one's assurance of faith. Our souls need confession in this life. We need to hear from the Father 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to hear that our Father is more ready to forgive sin than we are to forsake it. Have we confessed our sins today? Or are we carrying around an extra 10 pounds of rocks because we refuse to come to our Heavenly Father who desires to take those rocks from us? Because sin remains, there's a necessity for confession. But not only is there a necessity, there's a danger in delayed confession. David says, Therefore let everyone who is godly Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. If there is no repentance, there is no pardon. Years ago, a murderer was sentenced to death. And his brother appealed to the governor and attained the pardon for his brother. And he went to the prison and he had the pardon in his pocket. And he asked his brother, he said, when you get out, what are you going to do? And his brother said with a snarl, the first thing I'm going to do is find that judge and kill him. And I'm going to find that chief witness and I'm going to kill him too. And the brother rose and he left the prison with a pardon still in his pocket. This story pictures to us the danger of a delayed confession. As the hymn says, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. And every day, Jesus extends to us mercy and pardon, and yet the flood of many waters rumble. Today, it might be a trip to the grocery store. Tomorrow, it's mowing the yard. Tuesday, something else comes up. And every day we put off repentance and confession, we have one more day to confess and one last day to confess in. That the rush of busyness is a great water to us, keeping us from confession. But there is a greater water that David is pointing to. You see, that same hymn goes on to say, Time is now fleeting. The moments are passing. Passing for you and for me. Shadows are gathering and deathbeds are coming. Coming for you and for me. The last great rushing of water will be the same sound heard in Noah's day. The sound of judgment. And there's a danger that we kick the can down the road until there's no more road left. And then what are we going to do? As David said in the psalm, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Today, do not let the sun fall before we confess our sins. Do not, let, do not wallow in the guilt and the pain and the remorse. Do not hesitate. But instead... Let us enter into the blessing of confessing. Finally, I want to show that though there is a necessity and a danger, there is a great blessing 
and confessing. When we think of the word confessing, I don't want us to think about a dog. You spank the dog, you yell at the dog, and it comes running to you with its short, nubby tail between its legs. Confession is more like a child being restored to the sweet fellowship they have with their father. Many of us, when we contemplate the depth of our sin and the holiness of our God, we feel like the scared pup, don't we? Coming with our tail between the legs into God's presence. And we suffer for it. And in this quarantine, it has been into a prison because of this sense of fear. Fear of coming to God's presence. Fear of dying. Fear of judgment. Fear of actually owning up to our sin. We have not been able to enjoy many of the sweet, tender things in our lives. And we've been alienated and separated from the sweetness of prayer and communion. But herein lies the blessing of confessing. Of confessing. David says, I acknowledge my sin and you forgave. No hesitation, no delay. God did not sit in heaven and say, well, I've got to think about it. No, David confessed and God forgave. And God was a hiding place for him preserving him from trouble, surrounding him with shouts of deliverance. And by the end of the psalm, he would say, Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy. Do you see the change in David? Do you see the blessing in confessing? David went from silence to shouting, from his bones wasting away, to shouts of joy. This is a blessing. This is the joy of our salvation being returned to us. William Plummer pins this. If guilt makes men cowards, pardon makes them fearless. If guilt poisons the joy of every cup, pardon sweetens the every cup of sorrow. If guilt makes death the king of terrors, pardon makes believers shout, death is swallowed up in victory. My friends, this life is hard enough as it is. Do not let unconfessed sin and guilt rob us of the sweet joy of communion with God. Do not let guilt take away our boldness and our trust the very things we need in this pandemic. The very things we need in times of adversity. So I ask you all, today will you with me cry out, Restore to me, O Lord, the joy of my salvation. Will you cry out with me tomorrow, God, I confess my iniquities to you, and will you believe the promise that He has forgiven them? The next day, Will you turn your confession into shouts of joy, shouting for the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever? This is a blessing of confession. In closing, I want to end with a short story. Many of you have may, have, maybe have heard me talk about Mary Hamilton. Jessica just finished a book by her. She was one of the early homesteaders in Mississippi. 
And every night she would pray and kiss her children goodnight. But she had one son. His name was Frankie. And Frankie had a problem. Frankie was a liar. And one day Frankie set a field on fire. And his mother knew about it before Frankie got home. And as he walked in the door, he began to lie about the fire. And she stopped him right there. And she said, now Frankie, we will say no more about it until you can say you did it. And if you are sorry for it, you will tell Mr. Scruggs as well. You see, Frankie, if you deny it, you're telling a lie. For God saw you do it, and so did Mr. Scruggs. Now run and play. Have all the fun you can. But until you acknowledge what you did, you cannot say your prayers, and you cannot kiss me goodnight. Let me ask y'all, how much fun do you think Frankie had? Frankie tried to play the next day, but it was all he could do to get through the day. And at night came, and he refused to confess his sin, and he went to bed without a prayer and without a kiss from his sweet mother. Day two came, and that bag of rocks got even heavier, and he slept without a kiss from his mother and a prayer to his God. Day three came, and the bag of rocks was just too heavy to tote. And he ran to his mother, and he confessed his sin, and he prayed with his mother, he gave her a goodnight kiss, and had the first night of sound sleep he'd had in three nights. The relationship between this little boy and his mother shows us something. Sin and guilt rob us of joy, they ruin our day, they wreck our relationships, and they destroy the communion that we have with God. But the blessing of confession gives us wings which we may fly and enjoy the sweet and tender love of our Heavenly Father. Let us fly on the wings of the morning, confess our sins, and enjoy the blessing of confessing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this day that you would open our eyes to see the depth and the darkness of our sin and the danger of sin. And Father, I pray your spirit would move in our hearts that we would not see our sin and run into the darkness, but instead that we would see our sin and run and cry out to our Heavenly Father, Forgive me, Father, I cry. Forgive me. And that we would enjoy the sweet and tender, steadfast love of a great and heavenly Father. Father, restore to us today the joy of our salvation. Father, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. My church family, I cannot tell you how much I miss you all. It looks like the governor has extended the shelter in place one week. So hopefully after next week, we can begin transitioning to some sort of sense of normal where we can worship and pray and be within six feet of one another.
But in, in a little note, I'll, I reference this, the hymn, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling. And I want to read one thing. Read, not sing. Oh, for the wonderful love He has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, He has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. Then he says this sweet line, Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. Many of us are at home worshiping, praying, asking the Lord to strengthen and comfort us in these times. And right now, Jesus has great love that He has promised you and He will strengthen you. But many of us call this church our home and I cannot wait until the day that we can worship together. And until He draws us all back to this home, I am praying for you, I am praying for your children, I am praying for your grandchildren. If there's anything you guys need, we're home every day. I'm going on Wednesdays, but home every other day. I've greatly appreciated the faces that have stopped by and peeked in and chatted. And I cannot tell you how much of a blessing it was just to see your faces and hear your voices. So until we can see each other again, I'll be calling and checking in on everyone. But from my family to yours, from me and Jessica and Zoe and Lily, we love you and we're praying for you. I pray that God will continue to strengthen and uphold you in this time. You all be safe in this weather and have a wonderful Sunday. It's a blessing, as I say every Sunday. It's an honor and a privilege, even through podcast, to be worshiping with you.